The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Sometimes, different types of art battle against each other. And today I want to talk about the age-old battle of the book versus the movie. And I'm going to use an example that is both modern and relevant to me and inspired a t-shirt that I made that you can find in my Threadless shop. Uh, (laughs) I want to talk about Ready Player One. And if you don't know what Ready Player One is, it's an amazing novel written by Ernest Cline. Uh, It came out in 2012, and it depicts this sort of dystopian earth uh, in the year 2045 and to escape from the ugliness of everyday life, the people who live in this time escape into a virtual reality called Oasis. And the main character's name is Wade Watts and he's a teenager and his living situation is definitely less than ideal. Uh, He has some issues going on, but the thing that I want to talk about is why the book is so good and how the movie fails to deliver on a story that is, in my opinion, quite amazing. So this is going to require a type of origin story and not probably the one you think. I want to tell you about when I first met my business partner slash now copy editor slash bestie, Maria. We met at a NaNoWriMo write-in at a local uh, cafe, I'll say. It was like a board game cafe in Athens that no longer exists. And so I can never go back there with her, but that's okay. We're making new memories. We still play board games. We just don't play them there, which actually I never played any board game there with her because I was never part of any of her D&D campaigns. Uh, They had like this giant D&D table and room. And anyways, uh, that was one of the main appeals of this cafe. But so I met her there. And I think on our third meeting, we were talking about Dune, I think, uh, the novel, obviously. And she was like, oh, I haven't read that, but you know what you should read? And I was like, what? And this was the first thing she ever recommended to me. And I think she, well, she thought I was crazy. She told, she told me that later and we still talk about it because, um, you know, I would say things like, oh, I'm trying to write three novels in one month or something like that, which was an experiment that failed. Uh, It did not succeed. I was not able to do that. But I would say things like that to her because one of the things that I'm always doing is trying new things and pushing myself. And uh, I'm also, if you haven't met me in person, 
I don't think that you'll gather this from the podcast, but I can be very intimidating and that I don't realize that I am intimidating because I just know a lot of things about books. And if you're just learning about books and I'm like, oh, what about this? What about that? Da, 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 da. Oh, remember this book here? And then and it can feel like um, literature verbal diarrhea. And so people think that uh, that I know too much about literature. I know everything about literature. First of all, no one knows everything about anything. Second of all, I definitely don't know everything about literature. I'm always learning new things. But so this knowledge that I have, uh, because I don't think of myself as knowing a lot, can come off as intimidating to other people because I don't realize that I'm like dumping a bunch of information they don't understand on them. I don't know. Do I do that in this show? Send me an email. Do you think I'm intimidating? Yes or no? I don't think that I'm intimidating and that's why I get in trouble. And sometimes like I'll be like teaching something to Maria and she's like, stop pacing around the room. Can't you just sit down and tell me? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to tell you as well if I'm <laughs> if I'm sitting. And that comes from my background as a reading teacher is, of course, I would stand in front of the class and I would explain things and I would write things on the board. And I just can't help myself. So uh, Maria was shy <laughs> when she met me. And so this was the first thing she ever really told me about herself was that, Ready Player One was amazing, and she loved it, and I should read it. And so what did I do? Of course I went and read it. Of course I listened to what she said. She she had been so quiet in the group, and I'm always looking for new uh, and amazing literature, right? I would say that people would be like, Ready Player One's not literature. Listen, if you want to read an argument about what literature is, Maria covers that in <laughs> Write the Perfect Read, the fiction edition. She took on that beast and slayed all those dragons. So I would say that, uh, yes, Ready Player One now is like Pride and Prejudice back when Jane Austen wrote it. And please don't gasp in shock or horror. But this story is so good. Wade Watts as a main character is so compelling. The world that Ernest Klein has built is amazing. And one of the big draws for this story is the fact that he has based this new world, this new online place, Oasis, in nostalgia. Because the person who created Oasis, one of the people, right, because there were two people, uh, really loved the 80s. And so there's a lot of throwback stuff in this story and it's like going back in time and forward in time at the same time. There was a lot of times in that sentence. Um, but it's really complicated in a good way. And there's the obvious like good versus evil trope going on. And the book is amazing. You absolutely must read it. Uh, there is a little bit of adult content, I would say. They tackle the idea of what... Uh, sex would be like in this virtual world with these virtual suits and it kind of reminded me of uh in, well upload the show reminded me of that because they talk about that because when in when you die and upload the show on amazon prime you get put into a computer interface which reminded me of the oasis but obviously you can leave the oasis and if you die and you're uploaded you can't leave that place or you're deleted forever so that's an interesting show as well, but that's like a similar adult theme that they both have. And I would say that's pretty much the only adult theme that they both have. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I 
am I just am now feeling comfortable letting my 13-year-old read this story. And if you think I'm a horrible parent because of that, well, I'm not sorry because my husband and I carefully considered whether or not she should be allowed to read this book. And she is. But she hasn't read it yet. And I bought her her own copy because I don't want her touching my non-movie cover copy. And we're going to talk about that. You better believe we are going to talk about that. So Ready Player One, amazing book. I waited in line for 18 hours to be able to go see Steven Spielberg and Ernest Cline talk about the movie uh, at San Diego Comic-Con. And it was in Hall H, and a bunch, like, I mean, a thousand people cut in line, and we were not able to get into Hall H, even after waiting all day out in the hot sun. But my husband did meet Stephen Moffat, so that was something cool that came out of it. Even though he almost ran into the street, and Stephen Moffat literally caught him and kept him from getting smashed by a car. So thank you, Stephen Moffat, not only for Doctor Who, but also for saving my husband's life, because he was fanboying too hard. And... I didn't get in to see Hall H, but retrospectively, I'm like, you know, I'm glad because Saturday at Comic-Con that year was great, and we weren't in Hall H waiting for all that time. We were able to do a lot of cool stuff uh, in the main in the main convention center hall. I mean, not hall. You know, just like the actual convention part, not the panel part. I'm forgetting all my nerd words here, uh, but... Yes, that's what kind of level of a nerd I am, geek, whatever you want to call me. I'm fine with it. I call myself the queen of uh, geek-esque things. The queen of geekdom, which is probably pretty accurate. And so we didn't get in, and I was bummed because I I also wanted to see Harrison Ford because in that same... (laughs) In that same chunk in Hall H, they were also going to have Blade Runner 2049, which also amazing. I mean, I could do a whole thing about Blade Runner, and I'm sure I will because it's just really a compelling story in both the original Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, which once again has some adult themes. I wouldn't. We're we're waiting to let our teenager watch that one. Uh So there's all these ideas of, I guess the theme today is like intellectual uh, ideas about artificial intelligence and artificial worlds. (laughs) That seems to be our theme because we talked about Ready Player One and Upload and Blade Runner. And, uh, but getting back (laughs) to Ready Player One, I saw Maria like two weeks after that and Ready Player One is quite... It's kind of long. And my husband read it first, and he literally, I have never, ever seen this happen. He stayed up for three days straight to read the whole book at once because he's not a super fast reader. And so he was reading it. And then after he finished, he's like, I can't wait for you to read this book. And I was like, please go sleep or you're going to have some kind of nervous breakdown. He's like, that's amazing. I'll talk to you about everything once you finish. And then I was like on a time crunch, you know, uh, to finish. And while I I was just going to ditch my writing meeting to finish reading this book, if I'm going to be honest about it. But I was like, oh, Maria's there. And I can't wait to talk to her about this. So I literally sat 
in the group and she's like well where are you and I was like uh and she's like where are you in the book I'm like well and she's like you're so close to the end I'm like I know and so she's like just how fast can you read I was like I probably can read the rest right now so I sat there in the meeting and everyone was talking and I had my headphones in or something so that I could focus on the story because I cannot focus on a story when people are talking about writerly things, I get pulled right into that. Or maybe they switched to Greek so I couldn't understand them. Something, Some kind of facilitation happened because Maria was really excited that I was going to finish reading the book right there and then we could talk about it. So I finished reading Ready Player One on my Kindle in uh, Quinta Essentia, which no longer exists, a game board cafe. And I was really impressed, and it had all of the things I wanted. It had a flawed yet courageous hero. It had the love story, which is also really interesting. Uh, It had commentary on what life is like when you're so involved in a virtual world. It also talked about um, debt slavery, which I was like, my mind was blown when that came into the book because you're not expecting something, such a complicated issue to come in and then Ernest Klein deals with it so well and it's so I mean you just are freaking out because you're like this could be real and that was a real thing by the way that debtors used to be able to enslave people to pay back their debts and in this book Ernest Klein talks about how the company rigs it so that you can never get out of debt and I'm sure that that was the case for a lot of these people who you know enslaved debted people Uh, indebted people. And it's just really good. Okay. I'm sure at some point I will do a full review where I will talk about all the different characters, the different themes, the different tropes. Um, But so I was insanely excited for this to be made into a movie. And you know who made it? Who was the director? Steven Spielberg. No, I'm kidding. That's a Simpsons reference. Steven Spielberg, the real one, the not the fake counterpart that they show on The Simpsons. (laughs) And the movie was horrible. (laughs) There's no way of like subtly introducing this idea. The movie was Steven Spielberg tried to make it into this like feel good family movie where uh, he stripped all the dark elements out of it. Even the dark elements about uh, Wade and the experience of being in a slave camp where you work for the person you owe money. He just, uh, the characters who ended up sacrificing their lives in the book, there was nothing like that in the movie. He just tried to make it too family friendly. And the important thing that made Ready Player One so compelling was how dark the setting was, how dark the world was, and how Wade Watts is trying to... uh, battle against that darkness with light because he realizes and he's really young but at some point he realizes that life in the oasis isn't all it's meant to be it's not all that people think it is and you still have to go back out into the real world even if it's pretty crummy and the creator of oasis is coaching all the challengers in this egg hunt uh the egg is like a digital egg you know like easter egg i feel like that's that's the nod to it, if you know what that is. And so, and Marie and I love Easter eggs, and we hide Easter eggs in our books. Also, just in case you were curious about that. Um, and so the movie just took everything and tried to make it too friendly. And because they 
avoided all those dark elements. They sucked all the meaning out of the story to where I was just like, I wanted to cry. I was so upset that my favorite story had been ruined. One of my favorite stories had been ruined by one of my heroes, Steven Spielberg, and that Ernest Klein let him do that. Because Ernest Klein wrote this story. He's the author, and he co-wrote the screenplay for Ready Player One, the film. And I just couldn't believe he would sell out so hard. Uh, and if Ernest Klein ever listens to this, I love you, but you messed up. Steven Spielberg is awesome. I get it. I don't know what I would do if I was in the position to work with Steven Spielberg. But I wouldn't let him strip my story of its soul. And that is essentially what happened. And... It just didn't work. You can't take one story and try to twist it for a completely different target audience and have it work out. That's not how it happens. And adapting books into film is already really rough. And when you change the story that much, you have to know something bad's going to happen. And so I will say this. Do I think that movies, the movies, are always worse than the book? No, I don't think that. And I, I actually think that, uh, oh gosh, I just totally lost the idea of what I always say is better. I liked Secret Garden, the movie, better than the book. This is like a really old movie, by the way, and also a really old book. Uh, I liked that better as a kid. And then I went back and did it again. And I was like, yes, I like it better because the the way that the author of Secret Garden wrote the dialogue is very hard to follow sometimes. And we don't write books that way anymore, by the way, because a lot of us consider writing dialogue that way to be racist. So a sensitivity reader or a copy editor will not sign off on English spoken with a really thick accent uh, to the point where it distorts the words. It's just not flattering for anybody. It's not flattering for the audience. Uh, it's not flattering for the author, and it's not flattering for the character they're trying to portray. It also makes the reader tired, so don't do that. Just don't do that. <laughs> but so I liked that movie better. Uh, I have heard uh, Maria said that Shawshank Redemption, the movie, is better than the book. I would also argue that, oh, you know, that movie, the one with Amy Adams where there are aliens. I'm totally blanking right now. I would argue that that movie is also better than the short story it's based on, uh, which short stories cannot be as complex as screenplays because they're limited by words. And the opposite problem happens with novels into screenplays because novels can be these big, robust, word-filled things, and then screenplays have to be knocked down to be able to fit within a certain time limit. And that's why, uh, you know, we see things like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows, part one and part two, and Hunger Games, you know, the last one. I can't remember what the name of it is right now. Mockingjay? Is that right? Part one and part two. And uh, not the novels, but the films. And also, I feel like for the Hunger Games one, that was like a cash grab situation. Even though I like both the films and the books, the books are obviously uh, different. I actually like... The first Hunger Games, book one, I like the film better because we get perspectives outside of Katniss's perspective, and Katniss can be a very annoying character, and she's written that way on purpose. Um, I'm getting, but I'm all over the place now. But so 
I don't think it's a hard and fast rule that the movie is always worse than the book. But in the case of Ready Player One, you can see that when a studio tries to change the story so much, the story loses its soul, and you end up with a crappy movie that really nobody likes and that fans of the book hate, which is not what you want. And we kind of saw that with Artemis Fowl too, right? Where the fans of the book series, and the director explained that this is a very difficult series to put into film because of the way that things happen in the books. And I can understand that, but the film was just nothing. You felt nothing for anyone. Nothing for no one. So I do think that a book can be successfully turned into a film and and into a screenplay. I'm still trying to figure out how people are able to do that because they're such different mediums. Uh, and even when I talk to people who are asking for novel coaching and they're like, I want to write it like a screenplay. I'm like, no, you can't, but you can't do that. And they're like, why not? And I'm like, because it's just completely different. Like if you want to write a screenplay and sell it as a screenplay, just do that. But don't write a novel that you're going to adapt to try to sell as a screenplay. That's too difficult. <laughs> so um, I will say that the thing that makes me probably the most angry besides the soul suckingness of what happens when novels get turned into screenplays is that all of a sudden the publisher will decide that the original cover of the book has to be changed to fit with the movie because they're like, that way we can make more money selling books and we can make more money with people seeing the movies because they're like coexisting together. No, 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 I hate it. And I'll go, if I find a book that comes, that I've just discovered after the movie has come out and it's the movie cover, I will purposefully not buy that book and I will go into the enormous realm of eBay and try to find an old version of the book that has the actual cover. I have found a Ready Player One that I bought at a garage sale uh, like a month ago that does not have the now being made into a feature film sticker on it by the way, which is also infuriating because it's not an actual sticker you can take off. And also when they put stickers on the books, they're impossible to get off, and I hate that. And it also doesn't have the actor who I thought the actor who played Wade Watts was good. I didn't think the problem was with him. I thought the problem was with the writing. See my aggression towards Ernest Klein for ruining his own story. Uh, And so I have, like, an original cover with the stacks, which is, um, like mobile homes and RVs stacked on top of each other and welded together in a super dangerous way. And that's how they live where Wade is from in 2045. And it's very precious to me and I do not allow anyone to borrow it or read it. Uh, they can read one of my other copies that has the sticker or that has the movie cover. They cannot read my, my original cover paperback that I have for the actual first publication. There's another cover that's all red and it has the words ready player one and there's this little dude that has like this little digital key and actually I'm pretty sure that ready player two is going to have a cover that looks like the original ready player one cover which is going to be awesome because I saw some previews today for it so you can see kind of what the original ready player one cover looked like but uh, this is the thing I would rather read the book. That's how it goes, because I just trust the book better. There are very few exceptions to this rule. Like I said, I prefer the Hunger Games film, the first one, to the book because Katniss gets annoying at certain parts, and I want to see outside of her perspective, and the movie allows me to do that. 
that's how I got sucked into the series in the first place is I saw the film and I was like, wait, what? And then I went and read all the books. So I just trust the book more. I just haven't figured out how people can successfully convert books into stories, uh, I mean, into screenplays. And I, I haven't seen that many films where I like the film adaptation better. So I will just always go to the book. And I love movies. If you listen to this podcast, you know that because I'm constantly bringing up stories about film. But I just, I think in this case, book wins uh, more than movie wins. So in the battle of book versus movie, I'm going to pick book. And specifically for Ready Player One, I definitely pick the book. I definitely recommend the book. Maria was right, you guys. You should all listen to Maria and go read Ready Player One. And if you don't like it, make a list of why, though, so I can I can counter <laughs> I can counter your claims. And even there are things Maria and I argue about in the book where I'm like, wait, is a special character because? And she's all, no, no, but he's not the only And I'm like, but he's the only one who did this, this, and this. And then she's like, well, you know, and so... That's what friends do is they argue about why they like or dislike different parts of books that they love. So if you're thinking this weekend or this week about if you're going to read a book or watch a movie, and if there's a choice of reading a book or watching a movie for the same story, I would say choose the book. Unless you're watching Hunger Games and then watch the movie. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing. Happy writing.